Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela, and today I get to sit down with one of my very, very good friends, Lexi. You may know her as the Curio Shop on Instagram. She is such a wealth of knowledge. She has so much experience in just everything related to business, <laughs> fashion, all of the things. Um, so I'm excited to sit down with her, chat with her today, and to have you guys learn a little bit more about the way that she views business, especially in the reselling space. So I hope you get some little nuggets from this episode to take with you. We will see you at the table. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. Uh, as you heard in the introduction, I have Lexi here with me today. Lexi and I are friends. like. Like real life friends, and I love it. We are right. So happy to, of course, yeah. You are one of the people. It's kind of surreal being on here. Hi everyone, my name is Lexi. Um, I'm in the Curio Shop on Instagram right now. I'm doing some rebranding, whatever. But yeah, we are most definitely friends. I remember this as being like a surreal moment because you were on my hot girl walks for like Me. the longest time. Yeah, like I get my steps at the gym. I go, you know, record my treadmill. I'm there. Um, and I like to make that time where I'm learning something. And Thriftersilla has always been one of those podcasts that I hit play on. And now you're on it. <laughs> it's crazy. It's surreal. Full circle. Um, so you guys may not know who Lexi is. So I want her to introduce herself to everyone and kind of give the people an understanding of where you kind of came from, how you got into reselling, and then we'll take it from there. Sure. So hi again. My name is Lexi. Um, I am a reseller for with a... Uh, I don't know how long have I been reselling for, like around five-ish years now. I started when I was in college. Um, I started just flipping, you know, the American Eagle jeans, the Nike tank tops, and then I got into some re retail arbitrage. Um, once upon a time, like I lived near a Nike clearance outlet, so that was really cool. And then they had this coupon where you get $10 off any purchase. So I did that for like a full year, and that was amazing. And then I saw what everyone- prompted you to do that? I'm sorry, I'm totally interrupting you, but like what prompted you to do that? Did you see someone do it or did you just go that route? You know, I think I just saw a pair of Nike shoes that I got once for myself. And then I noticed I was able to sell them on Poshmark for more than I bought them for. And I'm like, that's crazy. So then I started doing that with the Nike outlets whenever they had their weekend sales. And then I started learning people like Mogi Beth and I started watching YouTube. And then I was like, this is a thing. People are making money this way. And then I started that as like my full side hustle. Um, when COVID happened, that's when I really started going full swing in terms of turning my side hustle into a business. Um, I took like bookkeeping courses in terms of like, how am I actually going to track my numbers and everything? Um, I took Mogi Beth's reseller course when that was out back in oh, the yeah. day. I um, and I was like, okay, now this is a business. So through the COVID years, I did a lot of experimenting. I did a lot of thrifting. I was a bins girly for a very long time. I bought a pallet. That was fun and a different experience. Um, but now what I do is I mostly do online sourcing and I have last chance near me. I have the honor and privilege near living near one of the last chance locations. So I flip mid tier to designer goods. That's my full swing. Um, I do that for a big time. And then let me think of what else. Um, I also do live, ch live chance, live. Oh, excuse me. Live last chance selling. There we go. 
Yeah. So that's a different kind of avenue. I think that no one else has really explored in the reselling world yet. Yeah. I think it's, I always love hearing how people kind of got into it. So for you, it was mostly like, I got these things. I got to make extra money. I'm just going to start listing them. Did, were you solely Poshmark or did you ever venture into anything else when you first started? Yeah, so when I first started, it was mainly Poshmark because of like the ease of just like listing things. Um, and then I learned like there's software that cross lists for you, like list perfectly and Vendu. I used one shop now, um, but that changed the game. Then it was everywhere that I could be. I was on um, eBay. I was on Mercari, Vestiaire, um, Tradesy when that was a thing. Um, I was everywhere where I possibly could be. Now, right now, I'm just on Mercari, eBay, Poshmark, and Vestiaire. Those are my like four big ones um, that I've really just kind of leaned into. But I definitely think when cross-listing came into it, when I learned cross-listing was a thing, that changed the game entirely. What are your thoughts on Vestiaire? Because, man, um, I struggle with it. Um, I I want to love it more. I, I know I I'm going to learn it. Like I am very sure that I will figure out like, these are the items that I want to list here. Right, right, I told right. My virtual assistant, like, Hey, we're going to meet this bottom line. If it's over this dollar amount, we are cross posting to there. Um, but I haven't figured out, like, I haven't figured it out yet. I'm still figuring it out. The very periodic sales with the higher end items make it totally worth cross posting everything. I think that does well there. Yeah. I've, I, so my only experience with this year is I haven't made an actual sale, but I've had offers that come in and I've accepted them and then they've never paid. Yeah, so I that, kind of like okay. stay away from it for that reason. I'm like, but this isn't what I want. Okay. I am not a Depop girly, but they also do that on Depop, right? I'm not on there. So I don't know. Maybe. I feel like that's the thing like where, where people don't pay or like for offers. I don't know, like in the, in the realm of where people can offer things and not pay. Um, I, I think that's <laughs> Yeah, Vestier is the only one worth it, minus like eBay, because like those are usually higher dollar items. So right. if I'm going to waste my time, I might as well try for a higher mark. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is true. It's, yes. like, it's one of those platforms where like I go back and forth with, but Tradesy was the same way before it went. Yeah. It was like, all right, I put it on here, but like, is it really worth my time? I don't know, but I don't have to do anything. So fine, whatever. Exactly. That's kind of like my mentality with it. Um, okay, so let's talk about the 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 fun stuff to us anyway, mm -hmm. and that is building a business, which for you, you figured out pretty early on that, okay, well, I'm making good money with this, and I, I can see that other people are doing this full time, or they're, they're doing really well as um, the side hustle, so what kind of started to change your mind frame, and how did you decide, okay, I need to really sit and focus on this, because I think this is where a lot of people, especially when they're newer, struggle with like mm -hmm. that transition because it is a transition to go from this is really fun to, oh, I need to really start looking at this as a business, not just something fun that I do. Yeah. So I really got into that when COVID hit and I had the time to delegate, like if I want this to ever be a, a true leg in my financial system that I'm relying on, I need to treat it like a business because you, when, when I think about scaling a side hustle that seems improbable but when I think of scaling a business that seems feasible and doable and what really boils down to is just the numbers that come from what what you're doing in your quote-unquote business so if it's something like profit per piece then you need to 
consider that. And that's not something you might consider if you're just saying like, oh, I'm going to flip these genes. You start looking at sell-through rate. You need to look at start like the statistics that come behind what you're actually doing. Um, so I got really into learning all about running the numbers. And I have a background in math. I got my degree in mathematics. I was I've been, just going to say, you yeah. have a background in math because just the way that you talk, you can tell. Yeah, I'm an extra dork here. It's fine. I'm, I'm, I've, I've leaned into it a long time ago. Um, I got my degree at mathematics. I've tutor and I've worked in education ever since. Um, but the big part of that, that transitioned into my resale business was like, I need to look at the analytical side. I know if I want to be bigger and better, that comes from knowing my numbers and knowing like what factors are going to bump these numbers up. Why do you think, I mean, I have my own thoughts on this and mm -hmm. I've definitely voiced it, but why do you think people are so afraid of looking at that side of the business? Because reselling itself is fun right? Yep. Like the components of reselling that we like to talk about are fun. But when it comes to numbers, which I personally think is fun, um, mm -hmm. but a lot of other people don't. And it's always like this no man's land. We don't want to go there. So like, what, what are your thoughts on why the community tends to lean that way? I have the answer. Okay. This is, what I, this is what I tell everyone that I tutor with. You had a bad fifth grade teacher that somehow told you that you weren't studying hard enough or you didn't do something right on like a test and you failed, you cried, you went home and it has tainted a math experience. I think it stems from bad math experiences. And I've heard it all before dealing with plenty of people who have, you know, had bad experiences with math. It's mostly everyone who is still like, not fond of math. Um, and that transitions into like, when you look at numbers, you do well, or when you don't want to look at numbers or later down the line, it's like, Ooh, like this reminds me of flashbacks of that time that I failed this AP stats test or whatever. Um, and I think that just stems from like, not knowing, not being comfortable with numbers before, like maybe fractions weren't your friend once upon a time when you learned fractions. And now it's just translated into a fear of numbers, but you can, you can rewire how you feel about numbers. You can learn it from various people. I took a bookkeeping course. I also took ACES course. Um, and I was a numbers girly before, but knowing like which numbers to look at, um, learning and being comfortable with them made him my best friend. Like I was already very fond of numbers beforehand, obviously, but I think just adapting to, to getting comfortable with them is one of the things that isn't talked about in the reseller community. It's really not. And I think, I think some of it is people aren't sure what they're supposed to be looking at because the only thing that they think of when it comes to numbers is taxes. Yeah. Right? Like people aren't necessarily looking at the whole picture. They're just looking at I owe X amount of dollars and that's it. But there's so much more when it comes to numbers. And we've talked about it plenty of times on the episode, but like there's so much knowledge that can be gained about what's working, what's not working for you simply by looking at some specific things in, in your business. And the only way to really do that is to track things. And I'm, I'm not, and you can, yes, absolutely make your own spreadsheet and track things your way. But there are so many things that are out there now that are really helpful um to our community and I don't care who who you buy it from or whatever but like there are yeah. tools out there that will not only show you what you owe for taxes but they're gonna break down also what your profit looks like for each item what are the brands that are selling for you what are the styles that are selling for you what what is your what does your buyer pool look like I think at the end of the day you have to understand 
who your buyer is or who you want your buyer to be if you're not in that place yet and the steps that you need to get that you need to take to get there because that is how you build a successful business and not right. just constantly sourcing all these different things and kind of guessing and not really sure and this might work but mm, I tried this last time it didn't work like there's a lot of guessing that goes on in reselling. And this is in all categories, not just clothing. It's in all yeah. categories. You have to be able to narrow it down and then find what you enjoy. Like there is an aspect of enjoyment that needs to still come out of it. Yeah. Um, but I'm just curious on your thoughts on that. Oh yeah. Like I am very anti-bolo list. So the reason I'm very anti-bolo list is because you can keep an eye out for like the Eileen Fisher, the, 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 the age, A-J-E. Like, I'm not sure how we pronounce yeah. that one, but you can, you like, you can have all the bolo lists in the world, but it doesn't make it repeatable just because you're on the lookout for these brands that might be at the thrift shop doesn't build a repeatable business. Building a repeatable business comes from looking at statistics, looking at the past quarter, the past year, what has traditionally sold well for you. Um, yeah. So I think in terms of like bolo lists or like one-off, you need to have something that's repeatable. And I think when we walk into thrift shops, especially early on, that's not at the top of mind. It's this could get me a profit or we don't think of questions like it could take three months to sell. It could take six months to sell or I could sell it, you know, like for $10 or I could sell it for $80. What are the factors that are involved in that that are giving me that price point? Um, there's lots of learning curves from when you enter the door into reselling, like things like sell-through rate, things like uh, what you've built your business on consistently in the past year or quarter or month that aren't at the top of mind for especially newbies. So I think newbies is a great place to start because I know that there are newbies that listen to the podcast and I always try to incorporate all levels because it's it's hard when, when you are sitting with someone else who has been doing the game for five plus years, your brain goes to that five plus year experience. And sometimes we have to kind of like retract and think, okay, well, what would a new person do in order to, to understand their business better than the way that we did? Because if I could do it all over again, you know, these are the things that I would do. And one, one of them would be take six months of data and literally start tracking from day one, like really track, like get a program that I trust that I think is going to be helpful to me. And look at the first six months. I think the first three to six months, you're definitely making some mistakes and you're learning the, you know, you're learning everything. See what happened in those first six months and then six months to a year, take a look at that as well. And then look at the whole year in total and see like what kind of landscape you're forming for yourself. I really don't think you can, I shouldn't say that. Some people may be able to, but I think the majority of people will have a hard time formulating the business that they want in the first year. I think it's going to take year two and three to really find your footing by year four. You've got a good idea of what it is that you want. And I'm not going to lie five, six, you're fine tuning and, and critiquing it and making it like the most perfect things so that you're barely working. Yeah. And I think you brought up a good point. I, the first thing that you should do, if you're not doing it already is start tracking things, yeah. start tracking how much you sold this for, start tracking the cost of goods, enter in all those numbers somewhere. There's programs to offer it. Um, you can make a spreadsheet, but the idea is put them down <clears throat> on a spreadsheet somewhere. Right. And then the second thing is like, after you start tracking these things, review, sit down with your numbers. What's working? Pour gas on the fire. What's not working? Cut out the fat and just, you know, continue to do this review process, do it regularly, make it a habit, you know, rinse and repeat. 
Yeah, I agree. I think, I think when I first started, if I could go back, the one thing that I wish I did was create an inventory system. Yeah, same. Even though it wouldn't have been what I have today, creating any system that would have been a little bit easier for me to kind of see what were the things that were bringing in, um, that would have been helpful. I didn't have the space at the time and it was hard for me to do that, but um, that's one of the, I think, main things that gets left off to the side and then you build this disaster that you need to fix. By year two, you're fixing it. Like there's no way around it. Um, so that's number one. The second thing is I wish I had tracked my numbers differently. I wish I wasn't just tracking what the sales were and I was actually really focusing on what it was um, that was selling and what the profit was with those items that were selling. Um, year one was definitely more of, oh, look at all this money that I made. It's great, right? Yep. That's really what that was. I didn't really start, and I've always been like super organized, perfectionist, like this hasn't sold for six months, it's got to go. Like, even though I didn't have it tracked, I could figure it out in my brain because I had 300 items listed and that's like nothing, you know, compared to what I have today. And that's how my brain works. Mm. Um, but I, I wish, I wish I was just better with all of that. And, and if, I think if you're new and you're listening, it could be overwhelming to hear these conversations, which I totally understand because it's yeah. even sometimes for me, when I sit down and look at things, even though I enjoy it, I'm like, what did I do this month? Like I totally didn't follow my yeah. path at all. And I just like went off the deep end and, and did something I wasn't supposed to. Um, or there's those months where it's like, you did everything perfectly and it still didn't work. Right. right. Like it still did not end up the way that I thought it would. And it, when you're new, this is hard. It's a hard concept to, to put together because you see all this content that's out there. You see all these people putting all these amazing things and look at what I sold. And this sold for, you know, a thousand dollars. And I did all these live sales and I made, you know, eight grand in a week or whatever. like, there's so much noise. There's so much noise when you first start. And I don't know if you want to share your experience when you first started, but I know for me, I got hooked on that noise. Oh, absolutely. I, and I, let me tell you, I got hooked on the idea because like once upon a time early when I started, I had access to the bins. Um, I think that's where I got most of my cheap inventory, by the way. Like, I think that's totally different because now I view inventory as an investment, but we'll get into that later. Um, the way that I view that now is just like, you need to, you need to focus on less noise. You have to identify what is noise and what is actually helpful to your business. Right. Yeah. And I, I got really hooked and, you know, like, oh, you know, people are selling coats for like hundreds or thousands of dollars sometimes. And it's hard to see that and think like, oh, you know, like they found that at the bins. I have to be at the bins all the time. Like my luck's going to turn around. I think at the same time, like there it's, it's fun to hear the noise. So I understand buying into the hype of like, oh, you know, like these people are doing great. I just also think that we also need to set aside like what is, uh, what is, um, what inspiration. Um, oh yeah. Inspiration. Yeah. What is inspiration versus like, what's realistic for you to try to like mimic. And also like, we shouldn't be mimicking, like your business will not look like anybody else's businesses. It's so personal. Mm -hmm. Like even the people who sell like free people, that's a common like liquidation item. That's like found either at thrift stores, that's found like through pallets or whatnot. That all looks very different. And it just depends on how you set up your business and how you're running it. 
point because there's also there's two different models right well there's probably more but there's two main models there's the quantity model and then there's the quality select pieces Mm -hmm. type of model right so I think when we all first start we kind of fall into that quantity model because that's how we're building our capital it's how we're getting things going and I mean, if you didn't start out that way, good on you, because I definitely, <laughs> did. And, um, it was tough. It was tough, man. Yeah. And you know, your, your price points are gonna look different. Every, everyone lives in different parts of the, of the world. So mm-hmm. our, you know, our average selling prices are going to be different. Our average cost on things going to be different. The amount of money that we need each week, each month, each year is going to be different. So we, some of us may have very similar business models and the way we do things, in terms of things that we sell maybe, but the way we acquire these pieces and what we're pricing and what we're, we're buying for is very different. And I think one of the best examples is the online sourcing or like what you do with Last Chance. That price point is very different to someone who just happens to find that same piece in the thrift store. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think like, I think it's, it's safer initially when you start off in reselling to go to the thrift shop get something for a dollar because your investment into the business is a dollar so far besides your time that really gets into it when you start looking at your numbers and then you can start looking at ROI and then people get hooked on ROI like oh I turned this one dollar into 15 like look how like look at that ROI versus like buying something for maybe 300 and only making a hundred dollars profit versus like where else can you make a hundred dollars profit right now and the and state like switching that in terms of like profit per unit versus like return on investment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think um, <laughs> I remember when I was afraid to spend a hundred dollars on, or like $70 on something to oh, yeah. maybe, maybe make 30 or 40 or maybe yeah. make more. It just all depended on who, who wanted this piece. Right. And the person who helped me get out of that was, I, Isa, but but um and, and she's definitely a great voice in the community who has helped a lot of people kind of overcome that fear and realize what other business is there out there where you can pay x amount and still make money on it you know what I mean like yeah. she's definitely um very encouraging in that way but it's hard to take that leap like I didn't go from spending one to five dollars on something to all of a sudden one day spending 70 that's not how it works it is a gradual progression of me getting comfortable of going from that one to five dollars to then 20 to then 30s then 40 and like building my way up some people they dive right in and if you have the capital that's great but i think i played a little safe sometimes when it back then when it came to that stuff because i didn't know i i thought i understood things but i really wasn't sure and um you admire people that do that and you yeah. want to be able to replicate it. But I think the reality is it took them time to get there. And you have to realize that as well to dive from $5 cost of goods to a $500 cost of goods is really hard. <laughs> and you need to really like look, look through it and understand it and um, be okay with the fact that you're not going to flip that item as quickly as you would that $5 item. Sometimes it happens but it doesn't happen as often. Yeah. And I think that's something I learned in Issa's course too. So for those who don't know, the Global Collective is Issa and she is a good friend and mentor of mine. Um, I took her consultation before her course was a thing. That's how, that's what gave me the confidence to kind of spend all this money on her fancy course, but it was well worth every penny. Um, And that's where I learned that um, you have to be careful on going 
too big too quickly. Um, even after her consultation, I had a lot of confidence in investing in higher end items. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to buy all the Chanel and Gucci I can. Yeah, and I know exactly what I need to spend on. <laughs> and the issue with that, there was a short period of time where my cash flow had to suffer a little bit because I invested too much too quickly. I made the mistake of investing in these higher pieces and it it paid off and I have now balanced out. My cash flow is very healthy, but it, it definitely took a lesson for me to learn. Like you have to just do it gradually. These are baby steps that you have to take in order to get to like the long leaps you want to be at. Yeah. yeah so that was a fun learning experience. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Been there myself. And then you sit back and you're like, what did I do? My money. Yeah. yeah it's on the higher end pieces I invested in. It's all tied up in product. And now what? And I think that's another reality of it is whether you're spending $5 or $50 or whatever on a piece, that's your capital. It's tied up in a an actual product, right? And this is where it's so important. Um, and I wish our community focused more time and energy on this, not just look at all these great things that I found is how long it actually takes for these pieces to move for your business. Because some pieces may only take 30 to 60 days for me, but it may take longer for someone else because your buyer demographic is just different than mine. And I, I think there needs to be a heavier focus. This is my, my mission, right? Like this podcast, and everything is my mission to get people to understand business. Like that's just- sure. Yeah, right. absolutely. And I, I really think there needs to be like an initiative to have people really understand that you have money sitting, whether it's in a pile on the floor because you haven't listed it yet, or it's in a tote or a closet, wherever that it's stored away. And the only way to keep capital moving, to keep the business moving is to get that stuff to move in whatever time frame it is that you're comfortable with. No one can dictate that for you. You have right. to figure out what that is. And for me, I like things to move my, I would say my bread and butter pieces, which are very different than for other people, right? That mid tier, I want those pieces to move 90 days at max, at max, they got to go. But all of my higher end pieces that are going to bring me that, I'll say 400 plus, 500 plus dollars, right? Um, in sales, this is not, it's not net. This is not after everything else, but, right. right? Those pieces, I don't care if those sit for a year. But like, you need to distinguish what that looks like for you. You need to distinguish what your capital looks like for you. What's the money that you need to have come in, however you want to look at it, weekly or monthly. I just feel like people don't fully grasp that. And I love surrounding myself with people like you and Issa and other people in the community who really talk about this and look at it. And so like, you guys don't follow Lexi. She posts all the time, like, business related things, numbers. She's a total nerd. I love it. It's just who she is as a person. And, um, but it's important to see that type of content. I love everyone that posts all the great things that they find. It's great. I am cheering you on. I am jealous that you found some of the pieces that you found. However, if you want this to be a successful business, you need to dive into it a little deeper than just, I found this great piece. It hasn't moved in over 365 days and I don't know what to do about it. You know, what I mean? does that make sense? 100%. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to jump off of what you just said. 
a great piece, you have to find the, the, the bullet points on what you're defining as a great piece. Is it a great piece because it's going to move within 60 days of you listing it? Is it a great piece because it's going to get you higher than your average return on investment or, you know, profit that you're usually making? Like what makes it a great piece? So I think when we talk about pieces, we need to think about them as investments in terms of like, this is my haul. Like, look at all the great things I found at the thrift shop. What makes them worth investing in? Like I've been looking at a lot of um, pieces that I've recently acquired, like, like stocks. Like I'm also like a financial nerd at this point. Like it's fine. I'm all the avenues of nerd. Um, What makes it worth investing in? What is my expected return? How long should I wait for this return? Um, all these things need to be considered because you're putting money, real money. This could be Starbucks money for you. This could be mortgage money for you. It depends on really what you're putting in, but like, don't throw around your money lightly. It's okay if you find a great deal, but it has to be a great investment. Yeah. I think that's a great way of putting it instead of a great piece. Is this a good investment for my business? Um, I think that changes the whole outlook and perspective on it. And I think for those who sell, so like we sell modern, but for those who sell vintage, I think you can apply these same principles where yes, the vintage market is definitely different. And there's so many facets to the vintage market and a great piece to the vintage world may be, I don't know, a certain type of pattern that was designed only in the 1940s in this certain dress, you know what I mean? But that makes sense for what it is that you're selling. Same with yes. shoes. I mean, each category, car parts, I don't care what it is. Each category has a different definition for a great investment, great piece, whatever you want to call it, right? So it may be, it may make sense for you to invest in this piece of lingerie that you found at an estate sale that they want $25 for because you know that you can flip this piece of lingerie for $200 and yes. it will sell quickly because there's a following for it. And maybe there's some kind of, I don't know, group of people who look for this specific thing for whatever reason that it is like, you have to really immerse yourself in these categories that you sell or these subcategories so that you can be the best that you can at it. And this is where we see people start to like um, veer off. And instead of doing the mass modern clothing, I'm going to sell everything. I'm only going to sell shoes. I'm only going to sell uh, bathing suits. I'm only going to sell coats and winter type gear. I'm only going to do like outdoorsy mountain gear. This is where people start to become a little more particular because they're like, I've tapped into something. I know this stuff. I've researched it. I know the markets. I know the people that are looking for it. I watch all the trends on this. TikTok said this. Instagram said that. Like, that's where you really start to refine what it is that you do. And I think it's hard to create the definition of investment until you immerse yourself in it. Yeah. So like I can give my example, like I first started doing like higher end items. I tried to like do a lot of like Gucci and Chanel and like, yeah, those things can still do well. But the avenue that I found that works really well for me is Max Mara coats. And now this isn't one that you usually mimic see. I know, I know. I feel like <laughs> it's like overwhelming. But I have always really loved the the like the tailoring, the very style of Max Mara. Like that's my swoon brand for me. Um, so that's where I do my heavy research. Now, like you can do the same research as I'm doing, but I'm telling anybody who's listening, you should dive into what 
what do you enjoy? What trends do you like seeing? Is there a certain brand that you want to learn more about? Find the niche, make it your niche. Find what sells well in that brand. Find what you like about this brand, what the best selling products are and create your own sort of bolo list. So like, yeah, that's what I basically did with certain styles of Max Mara and she, she'll stay close to my heart. I'll continue to follow the research until like, unfortunately, like trends change, but she's to stick around. So it's fun. So Max Mara is my number. So it's funny because everyone calls me like the, like the magnet for Max Mara because I do find it often out here. Um, I remember this one time I went sourcing and I found three coats, two blazers, a dress, like I found a bunch of Max. I, and it was at different places, different stores, but all kind of in the same area. And, um, and it's, I, I've kind of just coined Max Mara is my, it's my babe. Like that's just what it is. But Love even that. for myself, and I've noticed this as I've grown as a reseller and you'll, you guys will notice this too, as you grow as a reseller, you will gravitate towards certain colors certain trends certain styles certain brands because they speak to you for whatever reason that is what works for you it's what you enjoy lean into it because I just why not why not and be an expert in those specific things like I very much have always been into the whole before I even had a name quiet luxury minimalist like that's always been me so now that it's a thing, it's so easy for me to find pieces that match that description and pick it up and list it accordingly. Like to me, that's a no brainer. But if you were to tell me to like do this whole cowgirl coastal nonsense, I couldn't, I could not tell you how to do that. It's yeah, just not me. Yeah, I think everyone needs to find like lean into the parts that this also like helps prevent any potential future reseller burnout. Yeah. If you if you're pursuing the parts that you enjoy, you're going to continue hopefully enjoying it. You know, yeah. don't lean into the the coastal cowgirl if it like me, it does not appeal to you whatsoever. Oh. Like it's not worth learning, it's not worth like trying to pick up. It find the parts that you really like. Trending, I've always really liked quiet luxury too. So brands like Max Mara, those tier brands under the quiet luxury umbrella are ones I really like to dive into. So lean into it. I also think, so here's a brand that always gets a bad rep in the reselling community, but I think it's just people don't understand what pieces to pick up. And that's Vince. Don't sleep on Vince. (laughs) Like you need to understand the brand and what it is people are looking for. And the same goes for Everlane because I, Everlane is like the affordable, quiet, luxury little sister that no one talks about. Yes. Okay. So at last chance, Vince is very abundant. And I found like, I've like done some research because I usually do my quarterly research of like what's hot and what's not in the Vince realm. Um, There are definitely a lot of pieces worth picking up at the thrift if you come across it, but there's equally just as many that are not worth investing into. So make sure like if you're coming across the brand that some resellers quote unquote sleep on, see what sells well. Maybe it's that they're picking up the wrong things events. Maybe it's the wrong styles. Maybe it's dated. Maybe it's the wrong material, but don't write off a brand because it's not working for someone else. Mm -hmm. Find out what works well within that brand. I think every, every brand has like a top seller or like favorites or a following, right? You just need to establish what those are and steer clear of everything else. So 
funny that we talk about this. So this morning, I am, I am still someone that picks up Everlane and Madewell. Those are like my pieces that I know that I can just put in there and they'll just give me that 40 to $60. And I'm happy. Those are my fillers, right? We all have fillers and it all looks different for everyone. So those are my generally my fillers. So today I sold a pair of people are going to drop when they hear the price that I sold it at. Everlane, um, the curvy way high rise long jean. Commit that to memory. The curvy way high rise long jean. I sold it for $70. And I'm going to tell you why. Yes. Tell me. Okay. So it is, um, think of the rib cage. It's very similar to the Levi's rib cage, a little wider in the thigh. So it's definitely got like that redone look to it with the newer styles that they have where it's straight leg but it's not wide leg so it's got a little bit of everything going on oh, excuse me it's blurring oh, oh i see kind of oh it went i don't know it's blurring i can't show it to you um and it's a 12 inch high rise which who doesn't love a good 12 inch sorry that. love it it's the best thing um, so it mimics a lot of what these higher end brands are doing a goldie has a jean that's very similar to this it's 100 cotton but $70 is more affordable to someone on this pair of jeans, which we all know Everlane's quality is great. If you're looking for a good pair of jeans or a sweat, cashmere sweater, great quality. Hands down, better than Madewell. Go to Everlane. Um, but it's not as expensive as getting a pair of A. Goldie or redone jeans, exactly. which are going to cost you even that $150 to $200 plus dollar mark. So this was just one person. It was a Google shopper. They just happened to see it on Google and they bought it. The, um, I know it's called the long jean. The inseam was only 29.5. So I'm assuming that's what they mean as long. It was usually it's 31, 30, 31, but uh, um, is it long for ankle. I don't know. I don't know. But for me, long in general, long jeans in general do well. Um, because I don't think people find as many of them in the thrift store. So anyway, that's my, that's my story about Everlane. You just never know. It sold for, I had it listed for 78. They offered 70 to negate the shipping. So they ended up paying $78 anyway. Yeah. So I recently sold, this is not Everlane, but Vince. And I picked these up at last chance. There were these embossed Vince boots. And I think everyone, when they think of Vince shoes, they immediately think of those like leather slip-ons loafers which uh, i own a pair of yes the slip-ons yeah. yes but like in terms of resale it is it is not there for me i've done my <laughs> experimenting it is it is horrible i like it don't get me wrong like the leather's quality is still like exceptionally nice it's just not in demand that's not what vince Too buyers are looking for however come boot season these sold for i think i sold them for 135 so it that's gave me fantastic yeah, it gave me a decent return on them. Um, and I knew I just had to wait for like boot season to start picking up. Um, but that goes to show like if you can find the factors in a brand that are worth investing into, go for it. Also, you can learn like the opposite. What factors don't make it uh, uh, want to be bought for a buyer? Like what is like like the Vince slip ones? I'm not going to pick those up ever again. I think I sold like 10 in my life and those were the last 10. So I'm going through my Vince sales right now. Now I, I'm very particular when I pick up for Vince because you have to be. It's just it's it is oversaturated yes. because you can't find it discount stores. Um, they do produce a like many of the same style. So that's why when you go to places like Nordstrom Rack, you see a ton of the same style and just different colors. So you do, you do have to be particular. So 
Um, recently I sold, these were my own. I got them on Poshmark. They are cashmere, um, it's called cashmere weekend button down cardigan. I sold, I had three listed, I've sold two already. One I sold for $75 because it was a really pretty like Barbie pink kind of color, which is why it sold for the set full 75. And the other one sold for 50, but it was like a green, not everyone loves green. So like, I understand why that one is sold for a little bit less. Right. But cashmere sweaters from Vince. Yeah. Worth it. You're only going to get between 50 to $100. That is a great filler piece to have in your closet. Yeah. I, I think that goes to show too, like find your bread and butters, know what sells well. Like if you can find a Vince cashmere, like I can vouch for that because like Vince cashmere is just so nice. So and it's also so coveted. It's in demand. More importantly, yes. that makes it a great bread and butter piece. And Vince is also a very minimalistic, quiet luxury type of brand. Um, they are like the affordable version of a Max Mara, right? There you go. If you're going to buy Vince retail. It's very expensive, but it's less than a luxury brand. Yeah, agreed. They're silk. Oh, I just found a pair of silk pants by them. It's new at Tags. Found at the thrift store. Someone must have not fit in them and then just, you know, they got rid of them because they didn't care, clearly. Fortunate for them. Good for you. Friend. Um, so they, I think they retailed the tag said like four twenty five or something ridiculous. Now, realistically, am I going to get that? No, I'm going to get, I'm going to guess between 100, um, they're white. So I think I could probably get a little bit more for them. Maybe 150, 175 in that range because they're new with tag. That's definitely feasible. One, because they're new with tag. That always is a factor to look for. That's going to up that value. Um, it's a neutral color. And I've right. seen more, especially in just my business. If it's a neutral color or a coveted color, that's going to add value to the piece. Mm -hmm. Also, it is silk. Are you kidding me? Like a quality material. With those three factors alone, aside of being like one of the things that Vince is known for, like I really like their pants. That all makes it like worth a good investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was worth me paying twenty dollars for them. One hundred percent worth it. Hundred percent. And I think, well, this and this is the other thing too that we can go into is like MSRP versus reselling. Because oh the my same. god! <laughs> Definitely not the same. Like you can look at, and it it depends on like the brand, of course, too. And yeah, I mean, just, if we're talking about Chanel, this is like a totally different thing. Like, it's a different. Yes, yeah, very yeah. different. There's a lot of brands that you can actually sell close to retail but there's a lot of brands on the flip side that won't even get close a fraction of their retail value so i then it goes again to like doing your research and establishing like which ones are those which ones do you want to lean into i know for like certain max mara styles like i can get pretty close to like retail for some of them but other ones i can still make a great value and it be like half of the retail still worth investing in yeah yeah, it's true. I, and I think there's always that we assume an MSRP on an item that we love is so great that it obviously warrants a really great resale value. But then there's the reality of, well, no, not really. Oh, you know what? Great brand that came to mind when I think of this, St. John. Oh, so yeah. everyone knows like St. John is like very expensive. Like the skirt's like 300 minimum. That's actually really low. St. John stuff is like, 400 minimum. Like, I have a cardigan new at tags that I found at the thrift store. I think I paid 13 or $14 for it. The retail tag on it is $9.95. Yeah, it's, it's St. John's so expensive. And don't get me wrong. Some of their stuff can resell very well. However, there's a lot of stuff from that brand that you cannot get anywhere close to the retail. 
Right. Like the resale is going to be so like such a fraction of what it sold for. It almost hurts sometimes, but that's just market demand. Yeah. I think the best thing that's ever sold for me from St. John is, um, which I think people, whether you go to estate sales or you go to thrift stores, you're going to find this often is like the vintage two piece sets that like evening wear type of set um, or a business type of set. Those will sell. They're going to sell between that $100 and $200 mark as a set not individual as a set you can get a hundred two hundred dollars for it um and you can find those and people do collect them they do saint john has a great following um the vintage community loves it and their pieces are made really well they last a long time like uh-huh. their pieces do not fray in any like particular way that some others do um so you can still make if if your goal is to make you know i don't know a hundred dollars a piece I mean, you could do it. It's just a harder sell to make. Like, it depends on how quick of a mover you want. It's not going to move quick. St. John is not going to move quick. Yeah. And I think I learned that, like, in my thrifting days, I don't thrift too much anymore. Usually when I thrift, it's basically for me now. Yeah. But in my early thrifting days, there are two big St. John pieces that I remember. And I remember purchasing them one because they were jackets. So I knew like, okay, like a jacket's probably going to sell more than a tank top. And two, they were both, they both had leather components. One of them was a leather trench. Now I really had to think, cause this is early Lexi when she was a bins baby still like getting the dollar items. This item was a whole whopping like $40 at the thrift shop. And I was like, I don't know if I want to invest in this, but this is such a, there was a lot of factors like it being leather, it being St. John, and it just having a lot of really nice, like gold hardware details mm-hmm. that made it like this screams rich, quiet I was luxury. Say, it kind of gives me like Veronica Beard vibes. Yeah, it was so nice. So that sold actually really quickly for over 300 on eBay. That was still probably, now that I think about it, I'm like, did I lowball myself? But like back in my early flipping days, like that was a great experience of investing a little bit more to make a little bit more. And then for the other one, it had like a leather trim on it. Um, I remember that I paid like again, somewhere around the $40 mark. And I'm like, well, the last one with leather pieces, like, again, this is going into like building a repeatable business, find out the factors that work well, Um, had gold hardware as well, had leather trim. So I'm like, okay, for those reasons, and I know St. John jackets do well, I'm going to try this one again. And I did sell that one for, I think it was a little less because it wasn't all leather, maybe like 150, but still a great return. Yeah. Still a great return. I remember those being the couple of early, uh, early bigger flips for me that really yeah. kind of like hmm, I could get into this I can get into bigger flipping I don't know what my biggest oh no I do know what my biggest flip was that got me hooked on like wanting to even dive into luxury and yeah. those who have followed me for a while know the Christian Dior dress that I found at the bins that was like a rare collaboration from the 50s I think and oh, every time I pass this dress in the bins, because, and I am not a bin shopper. I've been to the bins probably a total of seven times in my five years of um, reselling. So um, my husband was with me that day and I saw, it was a really weird design. It was like this cheap polyester. I was like, this is disgusting, but let me just see what the tag is. And it's a Christian Dior. And I was like, is this? No, I'm talking about, I was a baby reseller. This had been maybe six months since I started. And I was like, is this real? Like, I had seen real luxury pieces before, but when it's vintage, like your brain can't compute when you're brand new and reselling. So yeah. I put it over to him and I was like, look at this thing. And I showed him and he was like, 
I mean, it's going to cost you less than a dollar. So what's the worst that can happen? Just send it to the real real and see if they take it, if they say that it's real, because that's the best way to authenticate things sometimes. Um, this was back then. I don't, I don't want to talk about the real real now. We have a, we have a love-hate relationship with the real real today. <laughs> um, but um, so that that piece, so I'm six months, I'm a newbie, send it in, it's real. They do like this whole thing on it. And I remember them reaching out to me, asking me where I got it. I was like, I just found it at the bins. Like, I can't tell you anything else about it. Um, apparently it's very rare to find this collaboration. It just doesn't really exist anymore. And a lot of it is in their vault that Christian Dior has. So they, they posted it. I think it got initially listed for, uh, 2,500, something like that. Amazing. Um, and it got returned a couple of times because it's vintage. So the sizing was off and the real real is not the best at like depicting their sizes. So finally ended up selling. Um, it had like this whole editor's thing on it. Like I had a little section on it about like the history of, it. I wish I had screenshot it all, but I, I didn't. And I ended up making, my cut was 1400. That's amazing. And I was like brand new to reselling. So I didn't even have a big commission cut on it. Um, so imagine if I did. Uh, but yeah, that was my first initiation to like, oh, this could be. That's the way to run out of the gate, Danielle. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. But it still took me a while to build myself to get comfortable because my investment in this was less than a dollar. Yeah, that's true. Like, I feel like, like there have been a couple like really fortunate bins finds that I found. So like the investment, like, oh, you know, you're at the bins, they weigh it per pound. So how much could it be? Um, I remember I got really lucky. I used to go to the bins like religiously around the bags times. Um, I got one of the, um, what's the staple white colored Louis Vuitton bags. And I was like, is this real? But like, I also like, am not a Louis Vuitton authenticator. So what's right. the harm in investing at that low of a rate? It turned out to be authentic. She did not sell. She's in my closet. I will love her till the day. <laughs> Um, but I mean, when you're going in and getting things at that low of a price, it's, it's easier to become comfortable at that price point. And then you learn from those experiences and start building upon them. Yeah. Yeah. I think the bins are a great way to introduce yourself to all the things and reselling. Um, but as a seasoned reseller at this point, the bins do not interest me. And when I go, the anxiety that I get, because I'm like, I am wasting time. Mm -hmm. I could be at a consignment store. I could be wherever else. I could be home on my couch sourcing for things that I really want. Um, but I do understand why people enjoy going, especially if you're more of like that everything seller or you're, you have a very specific like vintage niche that you sell or kids. There's tons of kids stuff at the bins. It's like overloaded with kids oh, yeah. stuff or um, home goods. Like there's a lot of that stuff there. But as someone who focuses on the mid tier and luxury, yeah, you can find it, but it's, not as common. Yeah, definitely not as common. Like you have, you have a chance, but like yeah. you have to weigh that versus your chances of like, if you know how to online source, like your chances are probably higher sitting at home on the couch. Yes. Time is money. <laughs> and that is something that I think we all have to understand no matter what you're doing. I don't care if you're traditionally listing, if you're live selling, if you do what Lexi do does and she live sells, but in a completely different way, which will end on that. So she can explain it. It all takes time and you need to account all that time into what you're making because you have to be able to pay yourself. Yeah. I remember in my consultation with Issa, I'm going to go back to that. Um, one of the things that she talked about was just like, 
how are you going to trim your time? And I was like, that was my homework was to figure out like how to be the most efficient. And I remember I have these like logo stamps and I used to be like stamp happy, just like in terms of like presentation, I'd put a stamp on the box. I put a stamp on the paper. And then I realized like, why am I branding this so hard? Like if I stamp once I can take out like almost a whole few minutes of all the stamps that I'm going to do when I package my items. So find the ways that you can trim down or make your processes more efficient because like Danielle said, time is money. Yeah. I don't do anything. I never did it. The fancy packaging thing. Um, but I even removed like the little plastic inserts. I used to put everything in. I don't even do that anymore because that took up time to find the right one, the fit the thing, close it. No, I just shove the thing in there and call it a day unless it's a luxury piece but then it's a little different you take right. care of it a little bit differently but like your everyday thing I don't care nope don't have time for you in the, yeah. in the poly mail you go have a good day yeah I also used to be a person oh my gosh I'm like cringing at the thought I used to be like thank you so much for your purchase Ugh. handwritten notes and I'm just like Ugh. although it's like cute I'm sure barely anybody read them who's gonna read who's gonna I care about throw them away sorry Lex yeah no it's fine like I don't blame you like I was thinking like what was I trying to do get my five-star rating that doesn't because matter that's what Poshmark community tells you to do yeah that's probably where I got it from yeah, yeah. I was like no one's reading these it's taking my time um and it's it's just eco unfriendly the only brand that I appreciate that from is like when I order from Christy Dawn because it's the most beautiful way they package things. It's like they put lavender, actual pieces of lavender in their package. But they're like, this is their brand, right? They have this pretty little yeah. box with a tissue paper and some lavender. And they, sometimes you get a free tote bag and it's like this whole experience. But that's because it's who they are as a brand. And I understand that. I'm not that. <laughs> Correct. I also don't have a whole army of people working for me. It's yep. me. Army of one. Yep. Yeah, exactly. One person. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about one of the major parts of your business now, which I don't know if you even saw coming, but this whole last chance thing, let's talk about what, what this even means. What do you yeah. mean last chance? Okay. So I'm going to dive into, everyone knows the Poshmark live, last live, live selling. Um, I applied for that. I was supposed to have one of those shows and then somehow the, t- the technicalities fell through. My schedule wasn't on it anymore. So I was like, oh, you know, I guess we're not doing this anymore. Um, but what ended up happening is I'm able to get a really great margin of selling luxury items. So I was posting, you know, like sometimes I do like highlight sales on my stories. And then I remember Issa came into my DMs. She's like, you know, for this pricing, you're still making good margins, but you could wholesale. And then I was like, mentally, I was like, say less. Actually, I could do that. So I put it on my stories one day, like, would you guys be interested if I opened like a WhatsApp group chat? And then I post some items that I find from last chance. And then I'll sell it to you guys for like a, a decent price. So a finder's I, fee. That's what we like to call finder's it. Fee. Finder's yes, fee. Yes. The finder's fee. So it's usually, you know, the last chance price I can get um, and then a finder's fee. And I post it in a group chat, a WhatsApp group chat. You can find the link in my bio. <laughs> um, but essentially I try to go every Friday. And then I post from the morning period because I like to get there super early, like everybody else who loves to go to last chance and scout for all the things that are on sale, all the things that either resellers want, that people personally want. And I try to post anything that's coveted for a great price. And that I didn't see coming. I think it's only been like a few months that I've been doing this, like maybe, maybe five at this point. Oh my God, that's crazy. Maybe four. Probably. Four I think there. when I 
joined your group chat I think you you'd only done it once or twice yeah I remember I started the chat with like I think like 30 people and it ended up doing okay so I was like okay I'm going to continue this momentum um and now I'm about 300 people like the, it's been oh. growing exponentially you know there's repeat buyers and everything um it's been a grand time so I'm able to give other resellers either wholesale pricing on some really nice pieces for them to flip. And I often share those experiences if they tag me in their stories. Um, but I've also been able to get people some really great deals on just like personal buys. Yeah. I mean, I bought two pairs of shoes from Lex and it was a steal of a deal. Let me tell you. I got a pair yeah. of Bionic sneakers for work because I go for walks at work and I needed new sneakers. And then I got a pair, a pair of Vince. I love Vince for myself, okay? Pair of Vince black leather. They got a little bit of a heel uh, mule. And those are my work shoes. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, so I usually try to go once a week, sometimes twice a week if I'm feeling grand about it. Um, but like you've gone twice. I've seen you go twice. Yeah, there's been times where I was going like three times a week. And man, that was just a lot of shipping. That was like a girl boss too hard. Um, but <laughs> girl boss too hard. I love yeah, it. But there's been times where it's usually like once or twice a week that I go. And I think the predominant uh people that I sell to are resellers who are getting wholesale pricing on certain hand select items and then flipping them, which I love that for you. Yeah. There's plenty at last chance where they're restocking all the time because the world is an over-consuming place yeah. or over-producing place and we're under-consuming, which is why I'm able to get a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and this leg of my business is run drastically different than my other reselling side of my business. Because on my reselling side, I'm like, okay, I wanna focus on a few quality high-end items. Right. Don't get me wrong, I still do that. But when I do last chance live selling, it's definitely a volume game. I'm trying to find as many things as I can to post in the chat that time that I'm there. I send everyone an invoice at the end of the day and they'll get their items sometime next week. I did not see this coming. I don't know how this, I, I feel like it came up so quickly. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely a lug of my business that I don't imagine is going anywhere. Like if, so long as I live near last chance, I will be doing live last chance selling. So if okay, you go- Does last chance have baby stuff? Um, Blast Chance does actually have lots of baby stuff. They even have designer baby stuff. All right. So then Super, yeah. like, yeah, I might drop some, you know what? Let me, let me take a look next time I'm there. I might post some stuff in the chat. Um, but Last Chance only has two locations. There's one in the Chicagoland area. And I know there's one in Arizona. I don't know specifically where I live near the Chicagoland area one. So, so long as I'm here, I will be maybe posting. The other one is in Vegas. Maybe? Is it Vegas? Maybe. Arizona? I don't know. I think it's in I think it's in Arizona somewhere, but I'm I'm not too sure. Like I just know another one exists somewhere in the Maybe US. Arizona, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's on the other side. It's on the other side. Yeah. It's yes, not over here. It's not in this area. Um, uh, what was I gonna I, say? I love it because what you have created is live selling, but in a different way. And I think and I think this just proves that you don't have to do live selling in the way that you see everyone else doing it. This is still a lot of work. What Lexi's talking about is a lot of work and time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you, if you have the luxury and pleasure of seeing me in person at the life uh, last chance while I'm doing live selling, it looks like a hot mess. It is a lot of work while I am there. Um, and I am pushing a cart that is about three people's worth of stuff, um, because I'm doing these live last chance sales. So it is a lot of work, but I found a way to live last chance sell that doesn't look like whatnot. That doesn't look like Poshmark live selling because one, I don't want to like take a full video for like three hours while I'm there to like scout through the finds that just gives me anxiety. Mm -hmm. But I found a way to like comb through the items after I found a bunch, 
periodically throughout a time period where people are still able to get some deals and I can I can get a finder's fee and it works out very well for on the other end people buying and for me as a seller yeah yeah and I think it's such a creative way of doing it because it is live selling it just looks different and it's in a completely different it's not in a traditional platform that you would use for live selling I also love that you don't have to technically be on. Like you could look like a hot mess. No one can see you. You're just posting photos. That's what I love about it the most. <laughs> yeah, because I'm usually like, I feel like in, especially like the, the first 30 minutes of last chance when they open their doors, it is, it is been vibes. Okay. Like everyone's running around trying to find all the good things that are for a deal. Um, and we're just kind of just like hustling. Mm -hmm. So I have the luxury pleasure of not putting myself in that image out on the internet. Um, but still be able to live sell, quote unquote, in that way. Do you think live selling is a sustainable business or do you think that live selling has to be accompanied with something else? Um, ooh, this is like the question that I love to cause controversy on. Um, I think it depends. I think some people can sustain it if you really figure it out. But I know a lot of resellers who live selling is a leg in their business, but not the full body. It, it, it helps support your reselling in that way, but you don't want it to take or over consume the parts of like traditional listing, putting it on the other platforms. Um, I think there's people like, uh, I think, did you have her on like a couple of episodes ago? Like Katie Co. Kate, yeah. yeah Caitlin, she's great. like, she's, she's figured out the live selling game. Like and I she's think young, which I think yeah. that's a big part in it where, she and she also has her whole family helping her yeah and I think that makes a big difference mm -hmm. uh, being young having the support of her whole family being able to ship for her like she has her dad's storage place doesn't have to yeah. pay rent like I think all of that is so important to to point it's out better. because it's different than the single mom or the stay-at-home mom that's running a three-hour sale every night and then has to do everything on her own the next morning. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Th those are definitely factors to consider. So like there may be a point, like if anything like that changes, if you don't have access to where you can store your inventory, if you don't have access to the same personnel helping you ship, like maybe it's not sustainable. Um, I, def I, th I think for most resellers, live selling can work as a really strong leg in your business if you can figure it out. However, Live selling is relatively new. I also wouldn't put too much stake in it. I wouldn't put your whole life on live selling um, just because it doesn't seem like a very uh, a very safe way to like place your bets um, because we're still figuring it out. People are still figuring out live selling. So I'm in the avenue of like, la live selling can be good for some people. If you want to figure that out and add that into your business, great. I love that for you. But at the same time, um, Oh, yeah, it it could be a bigger leg or a, a, a smaller leg in your business. It just depends. Yeah. Um. So the reason why I ask is because I have I have not done like a, a live sale. I did a silent sale on Poshmark when they first gave me access. I just wanted to see like what's the functionality. This was like months ago. Never did it again. It was just kind of like a let me test it kind of thing. But I'm thinking as I approach closer to the end of the year and then, you know, maternity and all that. My thought process is, well, I'm probably going to want to liquidate at least 200 items to 300 items that I have. I've already done a huge liquidation where I've taken things to consignment, the real, real, all that. Um, I want to get myself to 500 
listings. I'm at 800 right now. So I got a little bit to go. So I was thinking I may, I don't know, please do not quote me on this, but I may do one when we get a little bit closer to springtime or what I should say, correction, when we get closer to like January, February, where people are starting to look for spring items, I think I might do one kind of focused on all that and like just get rid of stuff. I don't really care what I make on it necessarily. Um, they're going to be pieces that I'm going to get rid of anyway. So I can see myself using it for that in the upcoming months. But in reality, do I want to do that? No. Yeah. I think that's also a thing like you have to weigh like the effort versus the time. Yeah. Um, and that's going like, to be so much work for me at that point. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know if like that's worth the time that you would put into it. I think there, I think you can use it to push a lot of volume out if you're, yeah successful in that way but it doesn't come without the caveat of like you still have to prep you have to like put mm -hmm. the listings in and you have to like run the show and then you have mm -hmm. to ship items yeah so it would require a lot of organization the only thing I could think of is I would do like three small shows mm -hmm. like in a seven day period like I'm trying to plan it out in my mind so that it makes sense but the more that like I talk out loud about it the more I'm like I don't want to do this I might just make boxes and call it a day you know what I mean and just tell people like hey Here's some items, pick what you want. Each box is X amount of dollars. Have a blast. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. is probably more of what I do, but at the same time, I might just dump a bunch of stuff at a consignment store and do it that way too. You know what I mean? Like it is, I can see the value of it, but when I try to implement it into my own, I just struggle. Yeah. And I think that's also like something to consider is that if, if you're struggling to like, oh, like I, this could be really, this could really work out, but like, 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 then I don't know if I want to put the time into it. Like you, you don't have to, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you can just find a different avenue to like liquidate items. If that's what you're really trying to do. Like you mentioned, there's buy, sell, trade. You could box everything up. You could send, oh, thread up is controversial at this point, but at, yeah. like and you can find well. anywhere else. Yeah. You can, you can figure out a way, especially if you're, if you're not sure of the outcome and it's already not sitting with you well, mm -hmm. you don't have to do it. You can have the options of, I don't want to, and I don't have to. Yep. The one thing that I do love is I, and I've already done this before, you know, I've had pe local people buy out certain categories from me. So like, I don't really sell athletic wear anymore. So we have a very particular piece that like, okay, I know I can get good money for this, but I sold all my athletic wear to a local settler, five bucks a piece. Have it like, have, and she loves, she's already sold half of it. Like she's had such a good um, result of doing it, but like, I, it doesn't work for me anymore. So if I can help someone else, I'd rather almost do that and give it to someone in the community who would benefit from it. Mostly someone that was local because it'd be easier because there's no shipping involved in that. It's just meeting up with someone. Um, but yeah, there are creative ways to do it without liquidating on live sales. I think I think it, it can be profitable. I think people really do enjoy it and have a have success with it. I just think you need to look at all the facets and like what, makes sense for your business and for you. I don't think it will go anywhere. I know at the beginning of the year and even last year, we're all like, this isn't going to last. No, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's, it's here. Yeah. It's never leaving um, for now anyway. Um, I will, does it complicate some things for sellers? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it can complicate things for the traditional selling person, but in reality, most people are not going into live sales unless that's the way they like to shop. Um, and the majority of my sales are new people or people coming off of Google. 
So that I think speaks more volumes than anything else. It does. Yeah. I think people forget that like you just, you don't have to lean into things that aren't meant for you. Like you do not, if, if live selling works out really great for someone else and it's like, it gives you anxiety, don't do it. Yeah. It definitely gives me anxiety. There's there's like a whole structure and planning I come up with. Listen, Lexi, I plan enough as is. Yeah. <laughs> for me to have to sit and plan out this whole thing is, you know, I'd have an Excel spreadsheet going with each step. Like that's just how my brain works. And it just seems very overwhelming to me. Yeah. That's just opt out. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's probably what's going to end up happening. But it is a thought that has crossed my mind because I do think that there is opportunity in it, but it's not opportunity that I would continue to go with, right? Like it would yeah. help for that one time and then I never want to do it again. Yeah, um, especially if you already have that mindset towards it. Like, yeah, just, you know. save, save your time now. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, this was fun. I love talking business with people who are like-minded. I love getting to know people more. Uh, hopefully you guys found this interesting and helpful. Um, definitely, definitely go follow Lexi. I'll have her information in the show notes for you guys um, on Friday. You usually post it Thursday, right? When you're going to last chance, you post Thursday night, the little group. Yeah, thing. I usually post on Thursday night and then over the weekend being like, this is my next trip. So if you follow me, stay tuned to my stories. I usually post the next one then. Yay. And then go buy some lovely things. Let me tell you some of the things that she finds there. I'm like, oh, oh, oh how this is insane those the row boots that you found last week yeah yeah especially when I get a chance in the designer section it is um it's drill worthy (laughs) it really really is all right guys hopefully you enjoyed this episode I'm sure you did you guys love these kind of things uh and we'll be back next week bye everyone bye